As we take a look at 2 Corinthians, if you remember correctly, <clears throat> through our study in 1 Corinthians, but also in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I was told in, when we first, uh, Lord had a calling on my life and being trained up in the ministry, I was, I was told so many times, Cody, it's not going to be easy to be in the ministry. And I was always heard that over and over. And I'd come and say, oh, pastor, you won't believe what's going on. Glory is not easy to be in the ministry. And he'd always kind of, you know, give us a sense, you know, hey, what do you think? There's going to be a cakewalk? Like, this is going to be easy? Well, we find as we studied in 1 Corinthians and now in 2 Corinthians, Paul found out very quickly it's not easy to be in the ministry. Because people in the church uh, were coming against him. He wanted just to serve the Lord. He just wants to serve the Lord and, and teach the truth. And just, just, the Lord is just leading him. And it just, why wouldn't everyone want to do what he's, been, he's doing and what they're doing for the Lord? Just serve the Lord. Love the Lord. Love other people. This is a great time. But it's amazing. Paul was finding that that's not the way it works for everybody. That there were some challenges within the Corinthian church. These believers in Corinth actually didn't just want to follow the Lord, didn't want to be obedient to the Word of God, didn't want to accept him of, of a calling that God put on his life as being an apostle. They wanted to live the, like the world. They wanted the world to be in the church. We want the church, but can't the world be in the church too? And can't we find some happy meaning and just get along? And, and it doesn't work like that. And quickly, like many today and, and back in, in his day, that there would be cause division when you bring the things of the world into the church. It causes division, causes chaos, causes confusion, because that's how Satan works. And so we see Paul was, was experiencing some difficulty. He wrote letters to the, the Corinthian believers there, and, and they just... You don't know how they're going to respond sometimes when, when a minister or a pastor teaches the truth. You don't know if the people are going to receive it from the Lord and, 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 and willing to change. And so we see here as we start chapter 2, and, and if you remember, if you were with us in chapter 1, he finished the chapter 1 or that end of that sentence is before he started into what we call chapter 2. Again, remember, there was no chapters and verses back then. It was just a sentence after sentence. But if you remember the last part of the sentence we left off last time, chapter 1, verse 24, not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy. For by faith you stand. You stand because of your faith in Jesus Christ. You're firm in your walk because you stand in your faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul reminded them that, you know, I come because I want to just share the joy of the Lord with you. I want you to know that I'm not here to lord over you as, the, as an apostle, as a pastor, as a minister to you. I don't lord over your life. I don't dictate your life. I'm just used by God to guide you to walk according to the ways of the Lord. 
to understand that it's a good life that the Lord has given you when you put your trust in Jesus Christ alone, by faith alone. It's a good life. So don't look to me. I'm not going to come here and come to show up at your, at your, uh, your doorstep. I served, I started the church there, Paul saying, for a year and a half. And then God moved me on to another church. But I still love you and I still want to pour into you and I still want to help you. And you write this letter to me saying there's some problems in the church here, Paul. How do we deal with these? And throughout 1 Corinthians, we saw how he dressed each question or problem or issue that was going on one by one. And it was a, a rebuking letter. It was a stern letter. It was a direct letter. But it was done in love. Because the things that were taking place in that church were causing divisions and problems and confusion. And it was hurting the body. Because a member or members of the body were going rogue. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. And they were going to have it the way they want to have it. And so Paul had to address it. How could he not address it? As we saw, we saw in the, in, the, in the first Corinthians, it was like a cancer. And it just kept getting worse. And he had to address it to see how the body was going to deal with the challenges within the, the Corinth, in Corinth, the Corinthian believers there. But as much as Paul poured out to him and through this letter and went and visited them, there were some challenges as we see in the scripture. That there were some challenges because when he showed up and being in person, there was the people, this group of people coming against Paul and really were trying to push back and cause confusion and, and try to cause division by saying, Duh, you know, Paul, he's just not reliable. He said he was going to come back and visit us, but he didn't come back to visit us when he said he was going to. He's not a man of his word. Plans, he said, he said he would do this and he didn't do it. And when people have hearts that are already against and, and not right with the Lord, they take those mistakes, those, even if they're not mistakes, they're, they take them and they turn them to like they're mistakes. They find anything. The enemy will use anything and anyone to try to cause division within the body. But as we see here and we continue in chapter 2, we will see that he starts off in verse 1, but I determined this within myself. That I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful then, who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? Our topic you'll see today is the fragrance of Christ. And your life does have a fragrance. <laughs> Some of you guys who are coming out of the field know that if you've been in the field for a couple of weeks, you have a fragrance. <laughs> and you wives are saying... We're going to change that fragrance real quick, like before you come in here after you've been sweaty and working out in the yard, too, you know. So that can go two ways, right, ladies? <laughs> but there's a fragrance, spiritual fragrance of one's life. And Paul 
recognized as he was going there, he's carrying out this love and trying to help these Corinthian Christians and, and pouring into their lives and letting them know what the truth is. And, and this is how you should follow the Lord because this is what the word of God says. And, and he just sharing and sharing and sharing and sharing with them. But this fraction within the church was causing doubt in the minds of the people. Reminding and saying, well, didn't Paul say he was coming back? Are you sure he's reliable? Are you sure he's trustworthy? You shouldn't listen to Paul. Listen to me. I'm here. He's gone. But Paul said, but I determined within myself. Spiritual self-talk. Spiritual self-talk is actually not a bad thing when you're focused on the Lord. Saying, Lord, you've got to get my soul in a line here. You've got to get my mind in order. I've got to get... I don't, that's not a problem when you talk to yourself. When it's spiritually right with the Lord. It's, it's, it only becomes a problem when you think you're talking to the Lord when you're only, only talking to yourself. You know, that's the problem. So he'd be, oh, yeah, I've been talking to the Lord. And I said, well, what, is, what kind of conversation are you having? And it's all really just talking to yourself. You're not really talking to him or talking about him and the things of God. But here Paul had came to determine within myself, in, in his self-talk, he says, it is not good for me to go back to, to Corinth. That actually was causing more problems within the church for me to go back. Because their heart's not right. If I go back, it just flares things up even more. And so instead of determining to go back, we find that he, he was on two points why he didn't go back. One is that he knew that going back wasn't going to be fruitful. It wasn't going to be helpful. And for the sake of others, he will restrain for going back. That's what we see here in the verse 1. But two, as we also know, God had redirected Paul's path. He really had all the intentions to come back and to continue to minister to them. But Paul had opened up other doors to minister with the gospel in the, a, a new place. So he was being obedient to God and going to another place versus coming back, which, which he thought was really good and right. And it was good and right. But blessed are the flexible when God says to end up changing paths. Remember, we trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And so Paul was saying, I'm just being redirected by God. It is good. This is right. Plus, it wasn't going to be fruitful for me to come back. I came to that determination because of my love for others. Because of my love for you, I won't be coming back. I'm just going to restrain until you're ready to receive me. It's best that I not come back. Because I want to, to, to bring, I want that joy. I, want, I don't want to have this heaviness as I come into the church. I don't want the heaviness to come with me into that because of the challenges that are taking place within this church. And so instead of showing up and coming, he allowed God, moved him to go do another work. So Paul wrote a second letter, another letter. And we see right here in verse 3, he says, I wrote this very thing to you, lest 
When I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy. Having confidence in you, all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Paul took all the circumstances that are going on in that church, everything that he experienced, everything he knew, the letter that they wrote to him and all the conflict and challenges. When he took things all in consideration here, a letter was a better way of trying to communicate with that church. A letter that he poured over in anguish an affliction of his heart. It was, it was so much. It was just so tearing him up. It was just nothing but tears pouring out of him, he says. As he writes this letter to these people he loves so much. I can assure you, as your pastor, there are times of much tears and anguish and affliction in my heart when, I re when you see from a distance sometimes the hearts of the people that are just not going the direction that the Lord wants them to go. That they continue to hold on to things that are just causing them to, to stumble, to fall, to drift. As we learned in men's breakfast yesterday, to just float back down the stream like a dead fish. It's grieving to watch. So I understand Paul's heart as he watches and listens and sees that there were things taking place in that church that were being accepted, that were, being, were, were allowed in that church that was causing division and problems within the body, but they were allowing it to take place in such sorrow, such pain in one's life when you watch that. That's why I said, lest I, lest I come, I, I have such pain or such sorrow. And so by sending the letter, he was hoping that that letter would work in the hearts of the people as they read that letter to the congregation, that it would touch the hearts of the people because that was the only way he was able to, to minister to them in the circumstances. And that he was hoping that by having this letter go before him, that they would do a work in their hearts so when he does come and actually come in person, that they would, it'd be much more personally, would be more pleasant, much more in the fact that they recognize that he has such love for them, abundant love for them. Do you think Paul enjoyed confronting these believers? Do you think a pastor, a minister, loves to confront, confront someone who lives, is living in sin? No. I've never met in any of my pastor friends, in any of the conference or anything, anyone stand or have a conversation over a cup of coffee and says, I just love finding sin in the camp and just going and, and just can't wait to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. Not one pastor I've ever met. Because I assure you, any pastor who loves to deal with sin in someone's life and finds joy in it should not be a pastor. 
Because your heart is of love to watch them to grow and to mature and to walk according to the ways of the Lord. Any other way, it's, it's just grieving to watch. So Paul said, I was afflicted. I was in anguish. My heart was just tearing me apart. I was in much tears watching and knowing that I had to address these issues. And the only way I could do that, because it was causing problems when I showed up in person. So I'm going to write these letters so I can at least get this text to you so you know that I love you. That I can post something to so you know that my heart is the fact that I love you so much I need you to come back to the Lord. Because your fellowship is so important. It is so easy for us to think that if a person comes to you and, and gives any sign of of correction for your life that the Lord was using them in your life that you immediately sometimes people immediately think you're the enemy that you're somehow judging them or you're trying to hurt them or keep them from fun or you're, you're really grieving my my liberty no, no, no. I'm just letting you know you're grieving the Holy Spirit and you're not growing and you're not maturing and, and I love you too much not to say something. That's what Paul is saying here. Because as a leader, you just want to love them. Your goal is not to grieve them. Paul says, my goal is not to grieve you. It's not to cause you pain. It's not to bring you heaviness. It is literally to come and to help you be freed from the things that are going on in your life that is hurting you and you don't even know it. And it starts with forgiveness. Paul says in here in verse 5, you know, to, to, to love others is absolutely where it starts. You love the Lord, then you turn and you love others. But to love others, you, you seek to help them grow in their walk with the Lord. And that's where Paul's heart is, you see. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent. Not to be too severe. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, you ought to rather to, give, to forgive and to comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Paul loved these believers. Paul poured his life into this church. Paul continues to want to pour into this church and to the people. But he knew there was something going on. And if you remember, we don't know specifically who this man he's referring to as we look at this. Such a man. But we do know in looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it was the man who was having an affair with his father's mother, his stepmother. And you remember, he rebuked them and said, that is not acceptable. That sin is in the camp. You've got to get rid of it. You've got to cut him out. You've got to get, take him out of there because it's going to destroy you. He commanded them, as you gather together, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 4 and 5. You've got to put him out. 
It's unacceptable as believers for you to allow sin, open sin, and, and, and allow it to go take on happening in the church. It's cancer. It's going to destroy the church. But they were accepting it. They were allowing it. It was the gossip. It was just rampant. But they didn't do anything about it. Sin in the camp will destroy a body. You know, some commentators think Paul was possibly thinking of another man altogether. Because we know in, 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 in the scriptures that there was conflict. There were people coming and butting heads with Paul's leadership. But in verse 10, as we see in 2 Corinthians, I don't believe it was any other. I think that he was really referring to this man as an example that was having an affair with his stepmother. That was causing some problems. Because he says in here in verse 5, he, Paul was not grieved. It did not grieve him. It wasn't, it wasn't causing him the problem. It was causing the body the problem. And the problem was is not at one time he, they were too lenient. They were allowing sin in the camp. They were allowing people to live however they wanted to live like the world. And he rebuked them. He told them that cannot happen. It has to change. He wrote this letter. Now the question is, are they going to be obedient and are they willing to get rid of the sin that's in the camp? And so he's, he's sitting there going, I wonder if they're going to be, just do it. Or they just could allow it to happen and just spiral out of control here. But then here in the letters here, he, he finds out and he hears from good report that yes, they did punish, bring punishment. They, yes, they did inflict by the majority sufficient uh, punishment or what we call church discipline on this person. And so that person obviously was then disciplined by the church like Paul said it needs to be done or it was going to be causing problems. But the pendulum swung too far, we see. Paul said, you need to discipline, you need to deal with it, or it's going to hurt you. But as they went out and disciplined, removed that, in this case punished the actual man by Church discipline means you need to repent or you need to leave. It appears very clearly that the man did receive, that the man did repent, that he did repent. That means after repentance, the church must then what? Restore. Must forgive. Because it's one thing to love others, but you must also love and seek to help others grow in their faith. So if they have a true repenting heart, they recognize they're in sin, that they are willing to turn around and walk away from that sin. Now as a church body, Paul is saying to them, now you need to forgive and to comfort him. Why? Lest perhaps one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. That is what the church body is to do. You need to deal with it if it's wrong. Show them what the scriptures say, which is right. They make a choice if they want to continue to live in sin or to be corrected and to repent. And when they do repent, a genuine repentance, then we as a body are to what? Forgive and to comfort or encourage them 
in their faith. Bring them back into the fellowship. That is what the scriptures say. That is what we are to do. And it worked for this man. That punishment led to repentance. Why? Because it wasn't just a harsh, you're out of here and never come back. But the, the fact that is, you need to repent. You need to change. You need to recognize. If they don't repent, they don't recognize that they're in sin, are you then to just let them come back anyway? No. They need to repent. They have to have genuine repentance. But you've got to give them that hope, that open door to say, if you repent, you are welcome back. Yes, there's room for repentance. You just need to repent. And then you can come back, as Paul is saying. Then you must then forgive and you must comfort them. Forgiving and forgetting. And how do you forget? What does that mean? Well, I know some people in your, in your minds right now are going, what do you mean? I'll never forget what they did to me. You're right. You may never forget it. But forgiveness means there should not be res residual bitterness and resentment. You should not be forgetting means not bringing it back up in the conversation again. That's what forgiveness means. You need to forgive, but then you need to forget me by meaning you don't bring it back up and put it in their face again. That is their past. God has forgiven them. It's just like a parent with a child. A child is sitting. You must deal with the sin. But you not only tell them that they need to repent, they need to change their ways, but you need to give that child hope of a restoration, knowing that they're, you're doing it in love and that you're, you will be reconciled and you'll bring them back. You're not kicking them out of the family, but what you're saying to them is you cannot move forward. Punishment continues until there's a change of heart. But then you are then to bring them in. You are to forgive and as a parent, you don't throw it back up in their face two years later, or a year later, or ten years later. And then you comfort them. You, you encourage them to continue to walk the ways of the Lord. Same thing in, same thing in a, a, a marriage. Marriage, you, it is not healthy for you to, to say you forgive, but then you constantly bringing it up in front of your spouse, the errors of his or her ways over years, and think that's going to bring a healing and comfort and encouragement to continue to walk in oneness. So Paul's saying here to the body of believers here, we must restore this person. He's, he's done exactly what the, 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 the punishment or the Discipline came about is to change the heart of this person. He changed. Everything changed. He's now walking rightly. He's not in that sin anymore. So to forgive and to comfort him, because if you don't, it would bring such sorrow, such grief, such heaviness on them that it would swallow him up or her up. It would be too much weight to bear. Now, I've watched it in the ministry. And as we will see, Paul will address how Satan works to bring a person down if we do not 
do it God's way, it can have major consequences on one's life. Because he, Paul is saying this, this harsh stance now that you're taking. Yes, you dealt with the sin. Now you must now deal with it completely by restoration. Because your harshness on this man for the sin that he had committed, he's repented of. And if you don't take that harshness off, and take the weight off, that, that, that guilt and all these other things that people can lay on you and this guilt, there's a real danger for this man. Because by withholding restoration and forgiveness from the man, they risk ruining him. And causing him to be swallowed up with too much sorrow, too much distress. See, restoring work towards sinners is just as important as rebuking the work of a sinner. Restoration, forgiveness. How important it is within the body. So Paul is really saying here, first lesson. First lesson for you Corinthian believers. I urge you as a church family to forgive this man. To forgive him because for his own sake... For his own sake, lesson number one, we must forgive him and restore him into the fellowship. But Paul gives a couple more lessons on this. In verse 8, he says, therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. It's one thing to, to forgive. There's another to, to, uh, to comfort and give that encouraging verse but are you willing to love him, to reaffirm your love to him? Because this man responded to correction. This man wasn't so stiff-necked and so hardened that he wasn't willing, so stubborn so that he wasn't willing to change. No, this man changed. And if the man changed, then now it's time to love him and reaffirm your love for him. You discipline your child. Your child responded. You need to reaffirm your love for that child. It's the sin that you were dealing with. It's the person you love. Because when the offender is made to feel that while his sin is punished and he himself is loved... He is more likely to be brought to repentance. And when a church family assures a forgiven brother or sister that sin has been forgotten, not brought back up again, and the fellowship is restored, there is healing by the Lord that takes place in the heart of that person. That's how God works. The Spirit of God moves and recognizes that he's been restored and that there's nothing going to be hovered and lowered over him in some way or her, her life that causes them not to feel at home. 
So that brings Paul to his second reason for church to confirm their love to the forgiven brother. And it's for the Lord's sake himself. We see right here in verse 9, for to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. So Paul wrote very strongly in 1 Corinthians 5 that the, the Corinthian Christians have met the test. He said, you must discipline this. You must get rid of this situation. This man needs to be, addre uh, be addressed and he needs to repent or he has to leave the fellowship. Because when you have to take someone out of the fellowship, they're out of the covering of the love and the, and the grace and the peace of that the body brings to this person. They're like put out into the, the world because of what's what the world wants. And that's how very grieving it is because you're talking to a man or you're talking to a woman and you say, you realize, according to the scriptures, you're in sin. What's your problem? I, why are you judging me? I'm, I'm fine. I'm not doing... You just, you're telling me you're in sin and you're not going to give up that sin. No. Well, I'm sorry. Then you can't come to the fellowship. What do you mean I can't come to the fellowship? No. You're not repentant. You're not willing to give up the sin. And the, the point is, is that you put them out into the world. If you want the world, you want to live like the world, then go have your fill. Go have your fill. Go do whatever you want to do in the world. Because at some point, you're going to recognize through much pain and suffering that Satan is going to get a grip of you. And you're going to spiral to the point you're flat on your back and you can't even move. But maybe then you'll be willing to be stop being so stubborn. And you were willing to be repentive. And you would repent of that sin and walk away from that sin. And then guess what? We love you so much we want you back into the fellowship. Because if you want the world. And you want the taste of the world. And you don't want the taste. You, don't want, the, you want the fragrance of the world. Then go get the fragrance of the world. But that's not what God wants and that's what we don't want. We want you to have the fragrance of Christ. We want you to, to, to smell like you've been in God's presence. Not smell and look like you've been in the world's presence. There is a difference. <laughs> and one thing we've all learned. Sometimes we're so stuck in the fragrance, we don't even smell ourselves. Where have you been? What do you mean? I took a bath. <laughs> you know, what, is there something wrong with me? You've been hanging around someone. You know, it's, it's funny because you come to church and you're like, you, you say hi to everybody and you give hugs. And, you, and sometimes you walk away and you go, oh, I smell that fragrance. Man, he must be, what is, what is he wearing today? <laughs> you know, you got this fragrance because you're, you're, you're spending time with people. Paul is, for the Lord's sake, forgive. You were, you were obedient to what I wrote to you before and you dealt with it. Now I'm asking you, I'm going to test you again. Please forgive this man and restore him in love back into the fellowship. For the Lord's sake. Not only for his sake, but for the Lord's sake. That is what we are to do. And that's what Paul is getting across to them. Because 
it is so important that we do not live like the world. And in the world, the world would love to just chew you up and spit you out and remove you so that they can advance in their, their agenda. But that's not how God works. We're a body, and if one part hurts, we hurt. If one is sick, it, we need to work with it. We need to deal with it and, and restore them. And by bringing them to the Lord, they can be healed. They can be healthy. It's coming to the Lord. It's a medicine that will treat them if they would just come back to the Lord. And then he gives us a third reason in verse 11. The third reason that we must forgive the offender is for the church's sake. Verse 11 says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. See, Paul knew this was of special concern because Satan looks to take advantage of situations. He loves to take advantage of, of our mistakes within the church. He loves to take advantage of the mistakes that take, uh, take place in our lives. And anytime we make a mistake or we make a mistake within the church, how quickly Satan will then use that to try to divide and conquer. Make one mistake. Say one wrong word within a couple. And all of a sudden, if, you, if, if both the couples are not walking with the Lord and they're not been in the word and they don't recognize what's happening, spiritual warfare, chaos, confusion, things start coming in between that husband and wife. Because Satan will use it that way. It happens in the church as well. Because Satan knows and loves to work through and uses devices to try to divide and conquer within the body. And when we are ignorant of Satan's strategies, he is able to take things from us that belong to us in Jesus. And what are those things that he tries to take from us? Well, he brings confusion, but he takes our peace. He takes our joy. He takes our fellowship. He takes a sense of forgiveness. He takes our victory. And we get wrapped up thinking, oh, this is a terrible life. And oh, there's no joy. And I'm depressed. And I am sad. And no one likes me. And all these feelings come ravaging in our minds. That is the devices and the trickery of Satan trying to get into your minds. Versus coming back to the rock. Coming back to the truth. That in his presence you will have peace. And when you walk with him you will have joy. And regardless of how you feel you keep showing up. And because the, there's a fellowship of people who love you. That you are forgiven. That you do have victory in Jesus. We are not to be ignorant of the devices that Satan comes against us with. And when there is unforgiving spirit in a congregation, in a church family, because sin has not been dealt with in a biblical manner, it gives Satan a stronghold in which, we can, which, in which he can operate and attack the congregation. And when we do not deal with it, then we grieve the Holy Spirit and give place to the devil when we harbor an unforgiving spirit, and we see that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 27 through 32. That's why Paul says you can't harbor unforgiveness. 
can hold on and, and so many people say, oh, I don't have, I forgive. But there's such resentment and such bitterness and other things that it's still unforgiveness. I'm not, I, I've, I can forgive and I've forgotten, but you constantly are talking about it to other people. That is not unforgiveness. That is bitterness, that's resentment, and it's only a matter of time it's going to hurt you and you've got to deal with that. To withhold forgiveness from the repentant person is to play into the hands of Satan. You're just being played. You're just being played. And you don't even know it. Because there's nothing more dangerous than to give Satan a chance of reducing a sinner to despair. That's how he works. Is take someone and drive them down to despair. Well, God wants to use you and I in the lives of people to understand there is forgiveness. There is love. There is comforted by the, by the Lord and that they will not despair and be hopeless. Because Satan loves to accuse a repentant believer who have sinned so that they feel their case is hopeless. That's his device. That's how he works. But you have to remember this, my brothers and sisters. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And when he convicts us of sin, so that we will come to a point of confession and repent and recognize we are, we're walking the wrong path, that we have to change. So the Holy Spirit convicts us. So it brings confession so that we'll turn to Christ for cleansing. And when you're cleansed, that's it. There's no condemnation in Christ. You get to move forward. But what happens is people get confused with conviction on your life versus the Satan coming into you and accusing us of sin so that we will despair and give up. The question is, do you recognize those voices and the difference between the voices of Christ and convicting you and encouraging you and wanting to cleanse you versus Satan who wants to accuse you and condemn you and drive you away from the things of God? It's a very simple, it's not complex. You know it's of God who's convicting you when it draws you closer to him and draws you into the family of God and you cry out to God and you repent. You're willing to just let it all go. But you also know that it's Satan playing against you when you feel accused and condemned and all you want to do is stay away from God's people, stay away from the word of God and you don't want to talk to anybody, you know that Satan is right there messing with you. It's really simple to know the difference. That's why Paul says to the Corinthian believers, don't be ignorant, my brothers and sisters, of the devices of Satan. I mean, he really kind of, you know, highlights even in our scripture here of this example that Paul was talking about, the strategy. So think about it. This man in 1 Corinthians 5, 
he's, Paul says that Satan's really strategy is against this sinning man was started with lust. The lust of the flesh. That lust of the flesh, then he used to bring hopelessness and despair for this man. Satan's strategy against the church was first the tolerance of evil within the church. Satan convinced them it's okay. We really like this family. We like this couple. We like this man. We, like we don't want to possibly say anything wrong because they might leave. That's a trick of the Satan within the church. But then using undue severity and punishment and not willing to forgive, not willing to restore, not willing to comfort and bring them back into the, this re repenting brother back into the fold, that's a trick of Satan as well. And then Paul reminds us that Satan's strategy against Paul himself was, was to simply make him so stressed and upset over the Corinthian Christians that he lost his peace. And was less effective in ministry. Because he was so consumed by the things that were going on. But we also see the fact that the fragrance here is, is one of, the fragrance of Christ is one of faith. He says in verse 12, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed to Macedonia. So it appears that Paul had a plan. Paul was going to go out and do what the Lord is showing him. The door was open to Troas to preach the gospel. This is all good. This is great. But what was in the back of his mind that wasn't settled was still for his love for his brothers and sisters in Corinth. And he wrote a letter. He was waiting for a response. He was supposed to meet up in Troas with, um, uh, with uh, Titus. And he got there. He was ready to minister. But Titus wasn't there, if you remember. He wasn't there to give him a, a lowdown of how did this all play out from the letter that I provided. And then after I left my visit, did people change? Did they, they address the issue and the sin in the camp and the, the divisions and stuff? And it was bothering him so much, he actually, Paul says, I couldn't even rest in my spirit until I had met, found Titus to find out what was going on. So he left there, it appears, probably left there earlier than what he was supposed to, to be. And he went over into Macedonia, where he ended up finding Titus, and then heard the good news that, yes, the church dealt with the issues in the church, and things were going better. But Paul is still trying to get across to these Corinthian believers that, you know, we have lots of plans. We create lots of plans in our heads. Oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do this for the Lord. and This is what he wants me to do. And this is how we're going to do it. And we can actually play out that plan for a five to ten year plan, don't we? Come to find out things change, don't they? But we recognize, Lord, what are you putting on my heart? What's the direction? What's the path you have for me? And then we're, we just sit back and watch and encourage our brothers and sisters in the faith as the Lord leads them and directed by his word. 
Paul knew that God direct changed his path. You're going to go over to Troas where I'm opening up an opportunity for you to share the gospel. You would think the Corinthian believers would have been happy for him. Would have been encouraging to him. To know that this was of the Lord doing this through him. Because the Lord had given direction to do this. But no, when you have a critical spirit of someone within the church and they're sitting in the church, that usually ends up using Satan's way of trying to divide and conquer within the body and starts casting doubt within the people so that people won't receive from Paul anymore. That's a device of the enemy. And Paul's saying here, I, I was so, no rest in my spirit because I just had to know that things that were changing and getting better and in Corinth that he was willing to I got to go to Macedonia I got to find to see if Titus is there and he did find Titus there and was encouraged in verse 14 now thanks be to God he heard he saw Titus he heard the good news and it brought him right into worship thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. What a blessing a turn. Here's Paul saying, I'm so heavy, I'm anguished, I'm crying over this for you as my, my brothers and sisters in Corinth. I'm just praying and just weeping and crying. I needed to hear what was going on in the church there. He hears the good news and it brought him to worship. And he thanked God that we have triumph, we have victory in Christ. And that through us, through believers, you and I, we diffuse the fragrance of God's knowledge in every place. See, Paul dealt with criticism from the Corinthian Christians. That he was unreliable, that he was fickle, and you know his yes wasn't his yes, his no wasn't his no. He's, you can't trust him; it's not worth it. You gotta just let the man go. Now he dealt with all of those things dealing with his travel plans that God changed. He has explained himself and his reasons in not arriving when he was hoping and praying to previously planned. But more than anything, he wanted the Corinthian Christians to know he was following Jesus Christ as his Lord. And that he wanted them to also follow Christ as their Lord. See, his plan, Paul's plan, was to follow Jesus Christ regardless of what other people thought. And that just... Paul had this faith in Jesus that God was going to do this work and lead him into changing situations. And then you see in verse 14, it just led us to, in that triumph in Christ, that Christ is in control of our life and in the church. And it just brought thanks be to God. Yeah, these were not comfortable times for Paul. These are really uncomfortable times. It can happen in the church, but it can also happen in a family. Very uncomfortable times when things need to be addressed within the family. See, Paul couldn't explain to them the detours that God had him on. He could explain the disappointments that they were being expressed. He couldn't explain this. He just knew that he was following Jesus and he was being obedient to Jesus and he was going, but people just were so 
He couldn't explain it. Just, I'm following the Lord. I'm doing what he's asking you to do. I know you're disappointed that I didn't come. I know you seem to be, that these detours seem to appear different than what they are. But this is what the Lord has me to do. But he assured them that God was in control over his life because he was Lord. And every believer can always be assured that God is working everything together for good. So as long as you and I love him and seek to obey him. If you love him and seek to obey him, we know with great confidence that he is in control, is in directing your life, and it's going to turn out just fine. We see that in Romans 8.28. That promise is for you as a believer, for those who love him and obedience to him. That promise is for you and I when we see difficult detours and situations, disappointments. All that's going to be turned around for his good. But do we know that by faith? And Paul brings to light this triumph in Christ. And, and see, the, the Corinthians would have understood this triumphal parade, this triumph in Christ, because back then in the Roman culture, any time a general in the army went out to, to a fight and they conquered and they slayed more than 5,000 and, and, and they were able to get all these, these, these spoils and all these riches from whoever they conquered, they came back in. They had a big-time parade. Like an American ticker tape parade down the middle of New York City and the confetti is going everywhere. They would walk down and they'd come down through and there's the general in this golden chariot flanked by his leaders and everyone else and all the spoils. And, and in the very back, here comes the prisoners. And there they're coming in and they're dragging them in. And people, the priests, the Roman priests would bring this incense and they would be bringing the incense to bring them in to, be, to show there's a glory of, of, a, of a victory over the war. Over their enemy. But Paul here brings this image up into the minds of us as readers of the fact that Jesus has victory for us. Like a conquering general in a triumphal parade, a Roman triumphal parade was given to the successful generals as they returned from their conquest. Paul wanted to encourage the believers here that we too, they, the Corinthian Christians, have a victorious general named Jesus Christ, a King of kings and Lord of lords. And with that victory, there is a fragrance as well in our parade. And that fragrance is Jesus Christ himself. That fragrance is becoming Christ-likeness. That's the fragrance of Christ. When you walk up to someone and you know that they're a believer and you wonder why you sense they're a believer, because they have a fragrance about them, their Christ-likeness is a fragrance that you cannot ignore. Their light is very bright. Their salt is very salty. There's no question in your mind that they're, they've spent time with Jesus. They've spent time hearing from him, listening to him, calling out to him. There's a fragrance that comes from one's life. Verse 15, for we are to 
God, the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. So just like these Roman leaders in the parade of victory coming in, the incense are going on, to those who had victory, the Roman soldiers and the people in, the, in Rome, it was a smell of victory. And they were celebrating. But keep in mind who else was in their presence. Those who were prisoners, those new who were coming, being paraded. It was not a, a smell of victory. It was a smell of aroma of death because they knew they were going to the Colosseum. They knew they were going to have to, they're going to be killed. They knew they were going to be fighting beasts as entertainment. So the aroma for one was life. For another, that aroma reminded them they were soon to die. But you and I as well have this fragrance in Christ of Christ. When we are going out and people see and smell your life, it's going to bring life to some. But for some, it would mean aroma of death. Because it will remind them they're not saved. For some... It'd be a reminder of salvation. See, the sense of incense burned to the gods in the Roman triumphal parade smelled wonderful to a Roman. But that same aroma was a bad smell to a captive prisoner of war. See, Paul used this imagery to, to bring a, a, a sense of understanding to his readers there. That believers are an incense, giving forth the fragrance of Jesus Christ in their lives and, and the laborers, the labors they do, the work that they do for the Lord. See, to God, believers were the very fragrance of Jesus Christ, that likeness that goes out into the world. To be among those around that are dying. See, the Christian life and ministry are matters of life and death. You may not have recognized that your life, in your ministry, in what God has called you to do, and wherever he's taken you, remember, the fragrance of his knowledge goes to all places. That's why we go out. We don't, we don't become people who are building our own little compound, and, and everyone comes into the compound and shut the doors, and we're all going to be safe, and we're just going to be just believers, and that's all we're going to... No, we are to come up and get out and be equipped and go out as a fragrance and be dis dispensed or dispersed throughout our community so that we can be that fragrance that God can use into a life of someone who is just dying. So that you can give them hope. That's why we share the gospel. That's why we share the truth. To be that fragrance. Because it could be a matter of life or death for some. And the way we live and the way we work can mean so much life or death to a lost world around us. And that's why Paul cried out here in the end of verse 16, and who is sufficient for these things? Who's sufficient? Life or death decisions. But to recognize the greatness of God's plan. 
Paul will go on in chapter 3, verse 5, to answer that question. Who is sufficient? Apart from God, we can do nothing. But with God, we can be, have that fragrance of Christ to live and bring people to a hope and a promise in Jesus Christ. And in verse 17, we wrap it here. It says, For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. See, the word peddling here has the idea of tampering with or watering down for great gain. He says, I'm not sitting here, the things I say to you, the things I'm writing to you, I'm not watering it down. I'm not going to somehow tamper it down and be so tampered and so watered down that you miss the point of what God wants you to do. I'm going to be direct. I'm going to be very straightforward. I'm not going to fill it with so much fluff that you completely miss what God is calling us to do. Because life is too short, my people. It's way too short. We must have a fragrance of a Christ-likeness. You cannot have a fragrance of this world because it will become lukewarm. You'll become unusable. You will cause yourself in pain in the family, within the church family, within the You've got to change. And so Paul says, I'm not peddling the word. I'm not just teaching the word and writing these words so that I can somehow make money. I'm not writing a book so you can buy it. To make some kind of gain? Paul said, I'm not looking for gain for myself. I'm just being used by God to teach you the truth. To encourage you to walk in the ways of the Lord. And I'm doing it with sincerity, transparency. I have no hidden agendas. That's what he's saying here. I have no hidden agendas. I just love you and I want to encourage you in your walk with the Christ. Because when I speak, he says, I know that God sees everything I'm saying. I know he sees everything I'm writing to you. And if you remember in the previous chapter, he had what? He, he was at peace. He, he knew his heart was with true sincerity. He knew he had great confidence that what he was teaching these Christians, what he was encouraging and correcting them and rebuking them and telling them what he need, they need to change, it wasn't to be lord over, not to gain something from it. He wasn't looking for money. He wasn't looking for notoriety. He wasn't looking for them to follow him. He, he was purely focusing them on Christ and Christ alone. Why? Because he wanted them to have what he had. And that was the peace and joy that goes beyond your own understanding. And that you would have the fragrance of Christ. Let us pray.